love for horses, basically, if I were to summarize myself in a nutshell. I think that's every little girl. We start really young and just it grows and it never stops growing. It's kind of one of those things that once it's in your blood, um, it really never leaves. It's a drug so. addiction. Yeah, sometimes I wonder if it's even worse, to be honest with you. <laughs> My dad for years has <laughs> been saying to me that I spend so much money and I always say to him, I'm like, well, dad, it's better than drugs. I He's like, honestly, I think it's more expensive than drugs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I uh, can't speak to that, but I know it's it's um, definitely an addiction for me. So. Yeah. I, it is for me too. It's insane how how strong the bond is. I've been horseless for a year now, and it drives me nuts. Just I I'm taking so many lessons a week right now just to stay in just it. To ride. Yeah, just to ride. I can't imagine a life without horses, so it's um, pretty crazy, actually, how my life has kind of formed around them and what the horses has helped me with and the places I've got to go because of the horse. Um, yeah, I, I owe a lot to the horse. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you just came back from a pretty big trip. Yeah, it was a fairly epic journey. It's actually really hard to describe to people. Uh, but I just spent 10 days in, in Portugal at a, a fair, and the, the town is called Golga, and it was the 450th year of this fair, and um, honestly, true of a lifetime, it was, um, it was wild, it's pretty fun. So what kind of style of riding do they do over there? Um, well, the Portuguese... I'll just back up a little bit. It's where the Lusitano comes from. So the Lusitano is the horse they use to fight bulls on. Um, so this was a Lusitano horse fair. And the Portuguese um, have their own dress. So they they have an outfit, like a cowboy has an outfit, you know, like a cowboy hat and a western shirt or whatever, but they wear a flat rim hat, kind of a short riding coat and, and pants. They have their own saddle bridles that, that's specific to their um, culture so it's really really cool is that everyone is decked out head to toe in all this really traditional dress um if i were to um compare their riding style with what i was doing at this fair it's it's very dressage based it's the base of kind of everything that you want to do I don't care if you're in a Western saddle or, or what dressage to me is the base of, of all horsemanship. So, um, very, very dressage base. Well, down here we use the Lusitano, um, sorry, I cannot pronounce that. Lusitano. Okay, you're not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> we use them mainly for dressage here too. And, um, I know Cavalia uses them for also Liberty. They yeah, are. They're, they're very good at that too. Yeah, they're, they're insanely smart. They are, and their movement is very nice and um, flowy. I what's the word I'm looking for? Like, it's just beautiful. Yeah, it's floaty. floaty. Exactly, it's beautiful to watch. Well, it's even even nicer to ride. Once you ride a Lusitano, you it's really tough to go back to whatever you were riding before. So. I feel very fortunate to have been introduced to the breed and, and to be able to own and ride them and train them and 
Um, I just think they're incredible. Um, they were bred to fight bulls, so they have incredible stock sense as well. So I use mine on the ranch. Really? Ranch horses and oh, you can't beat them. Yeah, I heel calves on them and uh, all everything that I do with any other you know quarter horse I do with my loose panels and um, they're extremely cowy and they're smooth. Um, they're so good with their feet and they have a little bit more stamina. Mm-hmm. So they will go, you know. All day. They're really, really tough. I've only ever seen one, and that was actually this year. A few months ago, um, one of our local barns threw an event for Cowboy Extreme. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yep. Um, And uh, one of the guys brought his Lusitania over, but she was very weirdly proportioned. I don't know if that's the breed. Um, I've only seen pictures online, and it's really hard to, to judge them off pictures. But watching yeah. her flow through the cowboy extreme was actually pretty impressive on how quick footed she was. Mm-hmm. They're very handy with their feet. Most of them. I mean, it's the same with any breed. You know, not every quarter horse is, is put together nicely and handy. Um, same as um, every breed. But when you get into the real high quality, well built Lusitanos, um, I think they're stunning, beautiful creatures. They do have a very nice mane. Mm, sometimes. Don't get confused with the Andalusian. The Andalusian has the longer mane, typically. Okay. Yeah. It's a big conversation I have with people all the time. Okay. Andalusians and Lusitano. There's a difference. Oh. And, uh, yeah, it's not a bad thing. Most people don't know, and that's what I'm here to... So, Lusitano so, and Lusitano? Lusitano. Lusitano. <laughs> <laughs> we should have practiced this. <laughs> yeah, we should have. Um, but you're going to notice I stutter a lot and look for words, so it's nothing new. No, it's all good. <laughs> Everybody has trouble saying it. I was like, what was it called again? So. <laughs> well, I've this breed is very new to me. I know there is a breeder a few hours from me that I think it's the other breed you just, bre- uh, you just mentioned. Andalusian. 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 I, I'm going to have to go back and look at her page. Um, all I know is she imported them from Europe, so I'm going to have to double check. Yep. But There's a couple of them, actually. I've been to one of Lusitano breeder in outside Quebec. I've given... Give, Who? I have... I'm pausing. Hold on. I have given some clinics in Quebec, and we went to a breeder, oh. Lusitano breeder's farm out there. Do you know where in Quebec? Um, I'd have to look at a map. It was pre-COVID, so... Could it have been Sutton? Pardon? Would it have been Sutton? I couldn't even tell you if... Okay, we'll we'll talk about this another time. (laughs) Yeah. I I might have a feeling I know where. Yeah. I don't remember her name either. I can find it on Facebook, but... Anyways. Um, Yeah, so there is a difference between the Andalusian... Edit all this out. This is not good. There is a difference between the Andalusian and Lusitano for sure. Okay. Um, the Andalusian is from Andalusia, which is Spanish. Mm-hmm. And then the Lusitano is from Lusitania, which is uh, Portuguese. They used to have the same stud book. It's really quite neat. I could talk about it forever, but um, they used to have the same stud book. So everything that... Um, is breeding stock
has to be approved in order for it to be registered in the association. So you can't just say, oh, I'm going to use this stallion and this mare and, and breed them. They have to be revised and passed, and then you can use them if you want registered stock. Okay. So they've, they've, they've kept the breed quite pure because they have picked and choose stallions and mares for breeding stock throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a great idea. Well, no, it, it perfects the breed. Yeah. It it really so does. The, the stud book split in, I don't remember when, into the, the Spanish and the Portuguese, and then that's where kind of formed the two breeds a little bit. So That's really cool, actually. I did not know that. Yeah. Europe is a lot more advanced than we are, that's for sure. Well... You know, they've been doing it for a long time. It's not so much, I don't think, an advancement. It's just years and years and years. And and I really love how careful they were with, with their breeding and, and keeping track of it. And um, like I said, this fair was 450 years old that wow. I was at. So That's we're working on like 110 years of something over here, you know? Good point. Yep, yep. That's true. Now, if I recall, the last time we talked, when you were talking about this fair, um, you were talking about how the times they were riding until what time and practicing rings and stuff like that, right? Yeah, so there's one main arena. Actually, they call it the Manga. Um, and it's a big deal for everyone to come to town, ride around town, and basically party. Um, there is competitions going on, but it's, it's you know, more about the party if I, I had to... <laughs> to be honest. Um, so usually around 10 o'clock, people start making their way into the, the main square, and there's a track around the arena, and the track just is packed full of people, and they ride around, and everyone's dressed, and they they have a lot of fur in their traditional dress, so it's really pretty. Their, their coats have fur collars, and they have a, a fur adornment that goes behind the saddle, and all the horses are braided, and, um, you know, it's gorgeous. So... They ride until 2 a.m. The arena closes at 2 a.m. Okay. Wow. And then they can ride around town. And I'm telling you, if they didn't close that arena, they would ride all night. And what um, time do they start the next day? Um, well, depends on what classes were going on. I shadow judged a show while I was there, and we started at 8.30 one morning. Um, oh, wow. The competitors, you know, they go to bed. Well, some didn't, but they go to bed. But there's a lot of people who come there just for the experience and just to just party and take it all in and so what they do is there's um they call them casetas which are little houses and in portuguese and they have breeders set up in these casetas and it's like like a a suite at a concert or a rodeo where you know you have these areas where you can host people and um so the cassettes have stalls next to them, so they bring their breeding stock. So they, they tie in the, the stock that they want people to see. And then you go into these little houses and they have drinks and food and you hang out and you get to know about their breeding program and the horses. And then the guys riding, mostly guys, they um, usually form like a half circle around the front window of the cassetta. And then they, you know, they'll drinks around the cassetta so everyone just kind of sits on their horse and goes to the bar goes to cassettas and and uh <laughs> hangs out that way that's 
that sounds like a pretty cool experience. I wish I could do that one day, hopefully. Well, the company that flew me over there, um, it's called Cabago, and we're organizing tours. So they want me to bring people over and be kind of the tour guide of sorts and uh, give people the Golga experience. So we want to, you know, ride on the beach, go wine tasting, take in the fair, go see some breeders, you know, build it however we want. But I think it's going to be really, really fun. Well, sign me up. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that. So um, hopefully we we get it all put together. And um, I think it'll be a lot of fun for people to come and experience and have that that trust in the person that's taking them that you know they know where they're going and what they're doing and well no you you have to experience it firsthand to give the best experience to these people because if you don't it it just will not work yeah and a lot of people are intimidated to just go oh hey i want to go to portugal by myself or you know meet a friend and it is intimidating you don't don't know and so if this is already chased out people i think are really gonna be um eager to to come check it out so this company that you're working for to plan these trips out is it just going to be international trips or will you be planning some of the states and canada well there's a lot of stuff um in the works right now we'll see how it all pans out it's a fairly new company um they would like to be the airbnb of horse riding destinations if that's, I guess, the best way to describe it. So it, if you want to really ride is. in Brazil, if you want to ride in Brazil or Dubai or China or the UK or Portugal or Canada, you go to their website and you can, you know, pick where you want to go and they have a concierge that can build your trip for you and, and um, stuff like that. So I know when I talked to the CEO, he's in Dubai and he was all raving about the Calgary Stampede I wanted to potentially organize tours of the Kegger Stampede. And I also work for the Kegger Stampede. When I told him that, he was like, oh, we have to organize trips to the Kegger Stampede too. So I'm not exactly sure how, you know, how big it's going to get, but there's lots of talk about what they would like to do. So we'll see. Well, no, you got to plan it out for it to work. You can't just jump right into it. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. So... Now that you mentioned that you work for the Calgary Stampede, what exactly do you do for them? Um, I coach a youth equestrian team, so they're age 14 to 21, and they are a mounted honor guard for the Calgary Stampede marching band. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with marching bands. I know I wasn't all up to speed on them before I started coaching. No, I am Um, not. But it's a world-famous marching band. It's a youth program um, for the Calgary Stampede, mm-hmm. and they're six-time world champions. Uh, wow. Like, travel the world. Like, they are the rock stars of the marching band world. Um, so the show riders was created for the 88 Winter Olympics, this program, and they ride with the show band. So they're the only band in the world to have a mounted honor guard as well. So what is an honor guard? So, um, just people who basically carry a flag and, and go with the band. Kind okay. Of, so, in a nutshell. so this team is, it depends on how many tryouts. We've had up to 16 on our program as when I've been coaching, but I know what, they've taken up to 24 
gone by. That's a lot. Um, typically anymore, we have 12 to 14 riders. They bring their own horse. They audition for their spot on the team. And it's a very intensive program. I don't know of many programs that they riders spend as many hours in the saddle as, as these riders do. Do they just um, uh, perform at the Calgary Stampede or they perform across no, Canada? No, across. We, we go international sometimes too. The program used to go to Europe and do stuff as well. Um, but we, our program starts usually in the, the fall. We pick our team. We have clinics with me. So my, my role with the team, I should back up, is um, the head horsemanship coach. So I give them all their clinics and I help them with their horses and make sure they're riding really sharp to make sure that the, because it's a drill team, like uh, what's the, the mountain police. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever seen that go around everywhere. So it's yeah. about an eight minute choreographed ride. It's actually very difficult. I think people look at it and go, oh, that looks great. You know, good job. But one time I had to fill in, we had a rider have an emergency appendicitis, and I'm like, I'll do it. And I jumped in, and, you know, <laughs> it, it is hard to, to get it really accurate. But So my job is just coaching, teaching horsemanship, and the better they ride, the better they perform and, and show off. What's the name of your you team? Know, the Calgary Stampede Show Riders. Sorry, I thought I said that. No, it's it's okay. I was just like, because um, it sounds very familiar to something that I saw a few years ago, and I was just wondering if it was the same thing or not. Um, there's, yeah, it could be. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Can-Am All-Breed Show in Markham, Ontario. No, I have not. They're actually expanding it to... Um, I want to... I Somewhere in... in um, BC, oh, I can't remember where, uh, Ancaster, no, and, and then they're moving it, instead of Markham, Ontario, they're moving it to Ancaster, which is near Hamilton, Ontario, so for the first okay. time this, well, 2022, they're gonna have two shows, they had, um, I'm trying to remember, I think it was called the Canadian Cowgirls, I cannot remember what it's called, but they had a, a kind of, I guess, kind of a drill team, but they performed, um, in the arena and they kind of did like circles all together and all kinds like kind of like a dance routine I guess um is that the same principle what you guys do um it's it's maneuvers like pinwheels and yeah crossing and pairing up and there's all these names for all these maneuvers and that's not not my job we have another the head coach and she does the ride and all that stuff she's really good at that stuff she has the uniforming logistics all that stuff and i just pretty much do the horses it works out awesome (laughs) the timing Um, to get all those little maneuvers properly without running into each other must be pretty uh intimidating it's it's no joke it's really hard to make it look pretty uh you have to ride really sharp and not only be responsible for yourself but paying attention to what the rest of your team is doing because you got to control well, your strides. Yeah, and I mean, there's 12 horses out there, and anything can scoop, and anything can, you know, there's, you know horses, blocks can happen, yep. so. It's, um, it's pretty impressive to watch these girls, like, do pinwheels or crossing each other at a gallop. It's insane. I've seen a few, like I said, that show I saw a few years back, I was just it, t- impressed. 
on how they were crossing the arena without running each other over. Like, it was one horse going one direction and the next crossing over. It was, it was really not cool to watch. I, I think it's really great to watch. We get a lot of good feedback from people. And the kids work hard. Like, it's an intensive program. I'm going to just refer back. You asked me if we just stay in Canada, but yep. we start our season usually in April. Um, and then it goes all the way through to parades and appearances all the, all over Alberta and then Calgary Stampede. And then every second year, we usually go on tour. So we take the team um, to the States now, and it's Cheyenne, so to the Frontier Days, to the okay. Daddy Mall, the big rodeo down there, which is a great time. Mm-hmm. And we have been to the... Rose Bowl Parade in Pasadena, California as well with them, which was an amazing experience as well. I've watched that on on the TV. Yep. Yeah, that is that would that would be a pretty cool experience. That is very neat. So, as of right now, you're in the process of trying to get the air horse Aaron A M A B Airbnb. Wow. (laughs) um you coach uh this team and um recently you were in saskatchewan doing some clinics a few weeks ago yep so what clinics do you give i'm i'm really lucky i'm a school teacher by trade i taught grade seven for five years and horses just kept pulling at me and pulling at me and um and now I've made the arena my classroom and I get to teach people about their horses and, and horsemanship and just how to be better riders. And there's a discipline called working equitation. Yes. That I've really uh, dug my teeth into. And I'm Canada's only judge right now. Uh, and I have competed internationally, I don't know how many years now, probably going on five years. So there's been a huge demand for these clinics and judging shows, and uh, it's taken me all over North America. And that's what I was partially doing in Golga in Portugal as well, because that's where the discipline comes from is Europe. So you're over so there teaching or um, expanding your knowledge? Yeah, expanding my knowledge. I was um, shadow judging with international judges at... Um, one of the top work and equitation shows in the world there because the Portuguese are really good at, at work and equitation because they ride with Sutanos. Because they're really good at it. <laughs> on a horse. There's lots of lead changes and lots of tight, you know, four meter circles, three meter circles in a, in a judged, there's obstacle work in it, which people really like. Mm-hmm. So in a judged obstacle course at the higher levels, you can have up to 35 lead changes, fine lead changes. Oh, wow. When I first saw work in equitation, I was honestly in awe of the, the horsemanship needed to excel at it. To me, it's one of the highest forms of horsemanship that you will see. And it's really pushed me uh, to you know, dig into riding and and get better, and just strive to improve. And uh, I I really appreciate that. And it I think it shows in in all sorts of 
things I do with horses because I'm fairly, you know, multifaceted. I like to do a lot of things with horses. Well, not just one thing thing is going to work with 10 horses. You need to expand your knowledge and learn different techniques from different disciplines, from different cultures to you to create your own training techniques you bet and i i mean i am a student of the horse through and through and i every time i swing a leg over i am i am learning as much as i can from that horse and i will never quit learning and i like i crave it so to go to portugal you wouldn't believe i and i can learn a lot just by watching and um i think too often we're we pigeonhole ourselves into just one thing like well i'm gonna be a bar racer i'm gonna be a rain cow horse guy or whatever it is but i just really think the the more broad our horizons are the more full experience we can offer our horses and our horsemanship and just broaden the horizon to things that are possible i I agree with you a hundred percent yeah um, I started from a pleasure background. So technically, okay, if I go back to the beginning, I am self-taught because my parents couldn't afford um, lessons. But So they bought me a horse. They bought the cheapest horse they could find just so I had a horse. And when I was old enough to start working in barns to pay for my lessons, I did, which was around 13, 14. Oh, good for you. So when that started, that was very long days. I had to pay for the lessons and then worked up to where I was able to pay, buy a, a better horse. So I started in pleasure and did a little bit of jumping and dressage, just basic. Um, yep. And then from there, I went into sorting and penning. Yep. And then um, now I'm a barrel racer, which I yep. love to death. I did a little bit of gym can games, but honestly, I'd rather stick to barrels. And as of this week, I am learning how to rain. Well, good. I mean, that's only going to help your barrel racing. Yeah. And but I teach a ton of barrel racers. I have a, a group of really competitive rodeo kids that mm-hmm. go to nationals. And I used to give summer camps when I had my arena. I had arena for 10 years just outside Calgary that I just sold um, because my travel schedule was too big to keep that going, the arena. Um, but I get summer camps, you know, five, six weeks in summer, and I had really competitive rodeo kids, and, um, you know, we didn't run barrels for five days. We worked on horsemanship and controlling our horse and figure out how to ride better, and that just really taught them how to ride, and they, it showed big time in the rodeo events, and, but like I said, you going to learn how to rain, that's going to really show up in your barrel race. And I just think so many people need to look kind of cross-discipline and go, okay, what's going to help me be a better rider, period? And well, to um, expand on what you just said, um, the reason I started jumping and doing dressage in the English saddle was to learn my balance and to learn how to move with the horse at a closer contact. So my barrel horse, when I felt we were off balance or we needed to work more like technical to gather more and stuff like that, I threw the English saddle on him. The improvement it made on my riding and getting him to balance and to learn how to balance himself more was insane. A lot of people do not agree with me. They laugh at me when I say, well, why don't you put an English saddle? Because they just don't believe in the English saddle and English riding. They 
think it's a different discipline and it has nothing to do with Western writing. But even the dressage just taught me um, the extension of how to, like extended trots and how to lay out the neck and just move your horse differently. And then the benefits I took from jumping and put onto my barrel horse was it really learned, t- taught him how to use his hind end a lot more and to build up those muscles. And the benefits I got from these two disciplines, from jumping and dressage, I find improved my riding and his skill so much better. Yep. Well, I find most of the time people make fun of, I'm just going to refer back to you, you said, you know, people make fun of you for using English saddle, but they make fun of it because they don't understand it. And it's something that is kind of outside of their realm. So the easiest thing for them to do is make fun of it. But um, for me, I ride in Western tech and dressage tech, and I don't care what tack I'm in. I don't ride any different. Horsemanship is horsemanship. Um, and I, I've said this before, but I truly believe that dressage is the root of all horsemanship. Yes, it is. When I learned dressage, like like I said, I'm very new at it. I am. Um, I don't know. Like I'm very beginner. Like if I if you ask me to go compete in it or anything, it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> but enough to learn and to use those techniques to start a horse and to teach them. Yeah. Well, it's all about balance and and softness and just getting your horse to do geometry and be accurate. And I, I think a lot of people because I um, I teach dressage. They hear the word and they instantly think, you know, whatever, tight white pants and and it's too preppy. And this and that. Yeah, there, there is a stigma around it, but I, I honestly tell people dressage to me just means good riding. And mm-hmm. this dressage I teach is it's functional dressage, like it's it's stuff that you're going to use when you go in barrel race or you go in trail ride or you go in team rope. Um, yes, one hundred percent. Working equitation is the best cross training you can you can have for a horse um i should describe it i guess i've mentioned it so there's three phases in working equitation and it's like eventing the highest points across the three phases is the champion Mm -hmm. so the first phase is dressage so you ride a dressage test the second phase is um, judged obstacles and they're all judged like dressage elements so it's not can you do the obstacles it's how well how pretty can you make them are your circles even are your lead changes are your transitions all in the same spot where they're supposed to be you know it has to be very accurate and detailed and then the third phase is a speed round on the obstacle so you it's just time only so you have to be accurate and detailed and to be able to go fast in order to um, you know, become the champion. So it really creates very well-rounded riders because it kind of ticks all the boxes and people love obstacle work. Mm-hmm. So, Just to clarify, anyways. when you mean obstacle yeah. work, is there an actual physical obstacle or you're meaning a challenge, like a, a lead change, yeah. a transition? That's a good question. No actual physical obstacles. Okay. So there's 19 set obstacles. And these 19 obstacles you will find in working equitation all over the world. They don't mm-hmm. change. So they're very um, traditional. They were developed to uh, build horses for work in the field in okay. Europe. 
So it's literally a bridge, a gate. Uh, there's a jump. There's a you know a backup corridor, a side pass rail, and then lots of geometry obstacles, um, like a figure eight, and then there's a, a slalom, and you know just very uh, basic obstacles, but they're very hard to ride accurately and and do well at. So it's very challenging. There's actually a curriculum. There's seven levels. Mm-hmm. Level one through level seven, which as a school teacher I love because it's laid it out. It's something you can't just go, oh, well, I'm going to go into you know level six, um, and if you're not ready for it, I mean it will show. So you really have to do your work and put in the time to graduate through the curriculum and train your horse. And it really has the horse in mind um, development wise. So. I, I think it's great. I love it. People have a lot of fun doing it, which I think is important as well. If you're not having fun, then well, what no. the heck are you doing? Exactly. Like, what are you doing? If you're not enjoying yourself, there is no point to it. Um, I would, just had supper with one of my friends tonight. I haven't seen her in two years due to the border closings, and I finally was able to go across the border today, which was awesome. I'm so happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we were talking um, because she's looking into possibly getting a four-year-old. And, um, so she's like, I don't want something that has a lot of training on it because this new thing that we've been noticing, especially in the barrel industry, in the futurity world, is they're training these horses so quickly and skipping all the basics to get them onto the pattern as quick as they can. To me, that is not enjoying the whole point of this, uh, this thing we're doing, you know, This, this is a passion but sadly, the futurity world has become who can get it done quicker and better, but they don't see what it costs in the end or in the in the long term because it's no, just scrapping the know. horse. No, I think they know. They have to know what it does to the horse, but that's that's not the end game for them. No, the futurity and is the end game. It's not the it's, horse. It's, it's the opinion. money. Yeah. And sad, like sadly, you are right. But deep down, I hope they don't know. Because, like, seeing these six-year-olds getting hawk injections and just so many issues, it scares me to what this world is becoming in the horse industry. And, yeah, and that's just a small sampling of it. And <laughs> you know, it, it's crazy. It is. You really dig into the different disciplines. But it is. That's why I like, I like this discipline, because it's... It's based around the horse. Uh, for example, you can't enter a horse until they're four. And that is perfect. Like, not a lot. like I've been saying for the past few years now, is um, like reigning. It's a year younger than the, the barrel futurity. Barrel futurity is four years old. Reigning is three, sometimes two, depending on what you're yeah. doing. If they just pushed the futurity back one year so a five-year-old enters the barrel futurity i honestly think we would see such a difference in how many horses actually survive this that they're not scrapped so quickly but i can also see that the people that do the futurities don't see the benefit in this because they are losing money by having that horse in their pasture for an extra year yep so yes i can see both sides to it but i don't agree with the other side the cool thing about this work in equitation is you can't enter till they're four and they can only do the lower levels. 
So there's age restrictions. So say I have a great four-year-old, I, I can't enter it at the highest level. Well, I age. hope that what you guys are doing will start um, overshadowing the other industries and pushing them towards going towards how you guys regulate your equitation. Well, I hope you're right, but I I mean, that fraternity world's been around for a long time. And yeah. I, and I don't see it changing, unfortunately. Nope. Um, it's just, it's driven by the people that support it. So if the people are supporting it, it's going to keep Exactly. Going. Sadly, that is the truth. And all we can do is wish and just keep trying our best. Yeah, well, you... You choose, right? Exactly. If you support it, you're choosing it. So I support what I, I believe in, and I believe in, you know, slow development and really confident horses. I want to build a horse that's going to have a long, prosperous life being a solid citizen, and and, and that's my goal. Confident, mm-hmm. trained horses. Exactly. A lot of people mistake, um, like, people that have the futurity. So, like, for example, I'm going to stick to the barrel racing because that's what I know. <laughs> we have the barrel racing futurities, we have the gymkanas, and we have the rodeo life. So we have three different categories. A lot of people compare, especially rodeo, to futurity. But we are, every category, these three categories I named, are so different. We are not the same. I know a lot of rodeo girls that don't even compete their horse into a rodeo until it's five or six. Mm-hmm. And you can see that they have the passion to keep that animal healthier, like you just said, strong and everything like that, longer for their lifetime. Yep. Well, it takes all sorts to make the world go round. Yep. <laughs> I, I agree. It really does. So what is your background? When did you start riding what have you learned like what disciplines have you done have you you know just kind of give us a a quick rundown of it of how it all started uh i grew up on a cattle ranch just two and a half hours east of calgary um the closest town is called sunny nook but it's like i think there's six people that live there so it's in between Brooks and Hannah, and I grew up on a horse as soon as, I think I was riding before I could even walk, even I had a little black Shetland pony, and I went everywhere with my dad, and that kind of never went away. Um, so I grew up ranching, and mom was really good about taking me and making sure I did lots of different things, and I think that's what really instilled my multidiscipline horses need to do lots of different things mentality in my training um so i did the old you know the horse show circuit a little bit and i rodeoed i rodeoed more than i showed but it was good to do both rather than just rodeoing so and i did everything i could at a rodeo from you know breakaway roping to barrel racing to roping i even roped calves <laughs> for a bit and i got old enough where I didn't want to do the slow show stuff anymore and just went rodeo full time and trained all my own horses up through those ranks and college rodeoed. And then I kind of, I played a lot of basketball competitively, post-secondary as well. And I kind of shifted towards basketball a little bit, which I don't regret because it, I mean, playing that 
level of sports sure teaches you a lot about competition and mm-hmm. psychology and and gives you kind of an edge as well so i'm i'm thankful that i played the sports that i did growing up as well um then i went and got my teaching degree and just kept riding training horses and teaching lessons on the side um basically rode you know quarter horses and until I decided that school teaching I taught for a little bit and this wasn't kind of for me I didn't like being inside I was worse than the kids when it was nice out I was out the window but let's go inside and do our work and, <laughs> um, yeah I really was worse than the kids but, and I loved it I loved my school and I, I loved the kids it just wasn't quite the right fit for me so I um took that year off and went traveling and um I guess before I traveled I was a wrangler on season one of Heartland oh wow which so season season one right out of the gate I I gave them riding lessons and taught them how to ride and got them going and so I worked for uh John Scott motion picture animals I think is the full title for John's outfit so I, I worked on Heartland and then decided that teaching wasn't wasn't for me and took a year off and traveled to Europe and trained horses in Europe and then came back and went to Australia and trained horses in Australia for three or four months and came back and thought I would just ride some some colts to you know replenish the bank account after traveling for over a year and it literally just blew up um went to a couple different arenas in the year usually about a year time span the arenas would always be for sale (laughs) seemed to be the trend and trained a lot of horses rode a lot started a lot of colts and then bought an arena just outside calgary in turner valley that's where really my career started to take off still was training there boarding horses training and started to teach and my teaching schedule got so heavy that I had to cut back on my outside training horses um, and I really I love the teaching I, I I really think it's what I put on this earth to do is teach people about horses and it's my program grew at home to where I couldn't handle the amount of riders that wanted to come ride so then I started traveling and then my travel schedule started blowing up this work and equitation started coming in then I started traveling to the states to teach and it just got to be too much so I sold the arena and now I just travel to other people's arenas and and teach which is fantastic and I've got I think about a dozen horses right now which is probably too many but I just train them and sell them and found the Lusitano along the way I don't know I was in Texas 2015 was when I first laid eyes on the Lusitano and fell in love right away there's a Lusitano breeding farm down there that I went down to a show and um, just instantly fell in love with the breed and knew I had to ride one and this breeding farm her off actually shipped me a Lusitano to promote the breed in Canada so they they sent him to me and he's from Portugal 
and um, I had them two years. I actually just bought it. So it's pretty exciting to know that he's staying here yeah. with me. You fell in love and, and couldn't resist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. They say that Lufutano chooses their person. Oh. When you're around them long enough, you understand that. And this horse was the first Lufutano I, I saw. And when, when I went down to talk about what horse they wanted to send, and I mean, I knew it was this horse. There's no question I knew there was something in him. He's a, a buckskin really sooty buckskin he's really really cool looking and and he's not easy to ride he's not for everybody but him and i get along pretty good and, and um so you mentioned earlier that you were self-taught and i'm i'm fairly self-taught as well i just i really have a keen sense of i think feel and i pay attention to the horse and i've built my program i'm just paying attention to the horse and i mean don't get me wrong i've got to ride with some really influential talented people in the horse industry and I, I soak up all I can from them but if you really pay attention and you really watch and listen I mean you can you can pick up a lot from anywhere you go no like I've said for years if you want to be a good rider good cowboy good cowgirl it's not how many hours you put in the saddle that counts which yes it plays a big role but it also how many hours you put into your education. So if you're sitting at a, a rodeo, a clinic, or anything, you just, doesn't matter how many, if you're watching from a distance, every time you watch a different barrel run, a different um, somebody roping, you learn at least one thing from each run. And oh, yeah. that's what makes if you, you a better attention. rider. If you pay attention, yeah. exactly. And but the more knowledge... Yes. <laughs> the more knowledge you can stick into that brain, the better you will become. Yes, practice takes perfect. I agree. But just because yes. you're riding every single day, sometimes people don't advance. It's because they don't invest in their own knowledge in their brain. And you can't be afraid to try things. I think that's kind of one of the main um, things that hold people back is you're afraid to try things and uh, what I mean my program is built on, you know, if I try this, what happens? Well, it's well, like the whole... fantastic happens. So I'm going to build it and I'm going to try that again, but what if I do this while I do that? And you just keep... It's like, you know, dancing with this animal and it, it's... If you pay attention to what they give you back when you ask for something, you can build on that or go, oh, no, that didn't work. Back to the drawing board. Do that again and, you know, just... It, formulate it's like the whole tension between western and english writers there's there is tension there people mock each other and they feel like they it's just different worlds but sitting and watching a dressage pattern all day long i had the opportunity a few years ago before covid hit to watch a really big event where there was jumping meter 40s and meter 60s and wow Honestly, I don't know how they do it. That would scare the crap out of me. Um, watching this horse almost stop and then all of a sudden jump that high. The horsemanship and the trust the horse and human have between each other is insane. And just that weekend, I found I learned so much just on horsemanship and technique. And I was able to kind of take a little bit of what I learned and put it towards what I do in a Western saddle. 
You just described exactly what I do all the time. <laughs> so we need to get a meet up soon, and we need to work together a little bit. I would love to learn from you. I think I'd be a good student. Yeah. <laughs> I think so too. You want to come to California with me? Um, I think I said that last time that I'm I'm there. <laughs> I will gladly come. I am. I want to get away from this crappy weather and. It's muddy and rainy here. It's gross. Well, it's a deep freeze here right now, so. Honestly, I would rather it be freezing and where it's either snow or, like, frozen grass. Because walking around when it's pouring rain and it's only a few degrees or in the mud, it's just so gross. And it's just, like, yesterday um, I was leaving school. Yeah, yesterday, sorry. I was leaving school, so where I'm at, so school's an hour away in Montreal, and it was snowing hardcore, so it was super slushy on the roads because it was only one degree, so it wasn't below freezing. So it was really slushy, big snowflakes, and then I get about half an hour out of the city onto the highway, and all of a sudden it's pouring rain, minus five. Uh, and then, it, so the roads were like pure, pure ice, and it was just so gross. That temperature, I cannot stand. It's like, what is the point of this? Yeah. Yep, I understand that. Either sure. be hot and rainy, so that way the heatness will have enough time to dry up the mud, or be cold and freezing. Yep. Sure, I agree with that. I can get on board with that. Fall weather, I don't mind as long as there's no mud. That would be ideal year-round. Yeah. <clears throat> California. I've never been. No. Yeah. I spent last winter there for six months, and it was very nice. Perfect. I will, will not. <laughs> I have a couple suitcases. Uh, I'm on my way. <laughs> yeah, anyway. You're hired. <laughs> that sounds good. I, my dad actually just informed me that the new COVID restrictions down this way is prolonging school return for two weeks and possibly going back to online learning. So um, as long as I can take my baby with me, I'm good. And she's super easy. She's a smiley baby and she doesn't complain. So I think we'll be good. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Those eyes will... I actually... Her eyes will melt you. I... Her little smile. She's so cute. <laughs> What's her name? Macy. Oh. She's been in the barn since she's five days old. Best way to be. Exactly. Yep. We were training horses this summer. And my boyfriend works till five, six o'clock. So the time he gets home and has supper and stuff, when we head over to the barn, it's around seven, eight. And we wouldn't get out of there till midnight. So she's completely used to the running around and the horses and everything like that. And she'll just watch. She loves watching. As long as she's propped up where she can see. She's so happy. Or she'll sleep. Makes tough kids. That's good. Exactly. I agree. I'll send you a video of her smiling on the horse. It was so cute. Do it. (laughs) Well, do you have any other burning questions that you want to know about Joe Barron? (laughs) If you had one thing you would say to somebody, one piece of advice, what is your go-to? Only one. I, it's never too late to start. I agree. I really do. 
a lot of people think they're too old or out of their prime or they can't start a new discipline. Like I'm recently learning how to rope down here. It's not big at all. And like I said, my boyfriend's from Alberta and he knows how to rope. And I was a little scared at first. I'm like, Oh, people are going to make fun of me. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. I teach a lot of, um, let's use middle-aged women, I guess. And, um, they have a lot of, fear that holds them back and oh you know I hear a lot oh I'm not ready and it's like yep well when are you ready you're never ready you just you got to start and and we're our own worst enemy in our in our heads that way that you know oh maybe next year you know now do it now tomorrow is not guaranteed so figure out what you want to do and and chase those dreams what is it you want to barrel race you want to register you want to Ride or lose the channel, you know, whatever it is. Like, I recently, I was just watching the NFR, and, like, Lisa Lockhart, look at her go. She's been doing this for years, and look at the age she's at, and she's still kicking ass. Um, There's some team ropers, some bulldoggers. There's a bronc rider who's 45 years old that made it to the NFR. Like, good on you, buddy. Your body must be aching, but you're still chasing (laughs) your dream, and you've made it. You are literally never yep. too... It's never too late. It, You're your worst enemy, and you're the only one holding you back. You got that, right? And... Anything is possible. I'm a prime example of that. You know, I'm... I am living the proverbial dream. Everybody always says that. You're living the dream. I get to travel and, and ride horses and help people and... That is the dream. Um... Yeah, and I never thought it was possible, so it's, you just... But you worked you know, somebody was, hard to get there, and you oh, yeah. went through many obstacles. See, you, you started, you were teaching, you you started off in the rodeo world, working on your family ranch, and then you went towards a career, because that's what you do, right? You go do something with your life besides rodeoing. A lot of people do that, but look at you now. You tried it, and it drew you back, and you're chasing it. And, and I, I don't regret any of my past. Everything has led me to right to where I need to be. But that teaching background, I think, is what sets me apart to most clinicians and, you know, horse people is that I'm, you know, I, I'm trained in teaching. and It's a passion of mine. And I, I think I have a pretty good knack of explaining things and making breaking it down so it really makes it usable and easy for people to understand. Uh, um, it's really been an easy fit for me to take that teaching skill set and coaching. I coached a lot of sports and, and apply it into the equestrian world, whatever it is. And uh, it's just been this kind of instant fit, you know, that, that easy fit. And, and I, I love it. No, that is, that is a very good point. I did a little teaching this summer, and I learned that I struggle with explaining how to do something. I know how to do it. Trust me. I really do. I know how to pivot, but me trying to explain it just doesn't make sense. If I can show yeah. you how to do it, I'm perfectly good at showing it as I go. I can do it slowly and apply the method and I'm visual and I, that's how I teach is visual. Words to me are a struggle. And like you said, your teaching background helped you find how to teach things and how to implement it into what you're doing now. Yep. What I've done is I've just 
built formulas and because I rode so many horses and all different breeds and shapes and sizes and you know and they all work the same I don't care what color it is how big it is what breed it is they work very very similar Mm -hmm. and I've broke things down into formulas that make sense you know I'll teach people you know a formula for flexion let's say and they'll go well, that makes sense. Why have I never heard this before? Or why didn't I think of that? You know, I, I find a lot of instructors struggle with explaining and they make it confusing. Or, you know, some instructors want to confuse people so they keep coming back. I'll be honest with you. And I'm the opposite. I want to give you as much information as clear as I can and help you be the best that you can be so your horse can be the best they can be, you know? I think you so just came up with a... I think you just came up with a million dollar idea. You figure? I'm pretty sure. Hear, hear me out here. Now, we have proof that this is your idea. If when I once I say it, I honestly I'm think good. you should offer some sort of course online that helps trainers, coaches, instructors learn communication in the horse industry to be able to teach. Mm-hmm. I think well, you've got it. Why do you say that? Because I've. I they'll be ready to release here shortly, but I've I've made a set of instructional videos. Oh my so god! <laughs> yeah. We are honestly on the same path here. Our yeah. thoughts are the same. They're not so much geared toward helping you know instructors and, and such communicate, but I do believe the videos will help um, instructors break down the small little things to help explain it easier. Um. So, yeah, they're they're all edited and ready. They're just being built into a new website right now, and they'll be available to the public shortly. So we'll see how well, that goes over. That is very exciting. You have a lot going on. Wow. I always do, it seems. <laughs> I agree with that. I am the same way. I decided to go back to college 30 weeks pregnant. That's brave. Yeah, I don't know how I did it, but I did it. <laughs> tomorrow is my last day of exams, and w- t- tomorrow at six oh one p.m., I am gonna be jumping of joy because I got through my first year of college, well, first yeah, semester, and exactly going back on what we said before, it is never too late. You are never too old. What are your excuses? Honestly, I didn't. I debated it, but then I was like, Harley, you need to take the jump. Just do it. You have the knowledge to actually do this. Just find the time. You can do it. Learn how to structure what you're doing. So like I said earlier, I was my boyfriend was training the horses for me because I was not riding, but I was coaching him through it. I also run a business that I make a lot of these items myself, and I attend rodeo events three days a week. Not next door to my house. Some of them are a few hours away. On top of that, on top of I was also helping my friend out with her barn, cleaning her stalls. I have a three-year-old, and then I decided to do college. (laughs) So I'm sorry, but everybody that has excuses, what is yours? There shouldn't be one. Yeah, it's all about choices. Exactly. And... Make your choice, and if you still, like I said, I had a lot of stuff going on, but I've learned how to figure out my time. And yep, that's what you gotta do. 
Yep, and I'm getting some of my marks back for some of my classes. And I am very proud to say that a lot of these marks are over 80. True. So, I'm sorry, but there's no excuses. <laughs> I learned the hard way no. that there isn't excuses. I might be exhausted, but I am motivated and I well, you're, you're doing it. Exactly. And I will benefit from it because I want to use my business degree into the horse industry like you used your teaching degree in the horse industry. Yep. Well, that's a good idea. That's another thing that I I really try and, uh, I don't know how to put this, but, but when I teach, it's not just here's the information. I'm, I'm also a support system. Uh, I'm a motiv- motivator. I, I want to pump people's tires and I want to them feel good about what they're doing there's you know so much negative stuff in this world anymore and i really think horses are people's safe haven and where they go for their 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 therapeutical their downtime and their their zen and um i really want to support people in their journey and just make it as as fun and enjoyable and educational as i possibly can because there's a lot of other things out there that are that are not that way. So no, I I agree. Horses is my escape. When I'm on a horse, that's most people. That's most people. Exactly. When I'm on a horse, nothing else matters. I'm on this thousand pound animal that if it wanted to, it could end me yeah. very quickly. And I need my full concentration. And honestly, I just want to forget about the outside world. I just want to concentrate on what I am working on and enjoy it and see the progress. Sometimes I can be on a horse for 15 minutes because I'm like, okay, I need to work. Let's say the, bring it back up, the pivots. I personally believe that overworking something will not get you results. If you get the smallest movement of what you're looking for in the horse, to me, rewarding it right away is the best thing you can do for that animal because frustration is not the point of riding. It gets you nowhere. It really doesn't. You're right. You have to recognize the try and the effort that they're putting in to try and figure out the answer to the the puzzle. And that's another thing that I always teach is horses are like mathematicians. Um, They're thinking creatures they enjoy puzzles they enjoy figuring out what you're asking and challenges and, mm-hmm. and and training really is presenting that horse with a series of puzzles that they need to find the answer to seeing so a horse to... seeing the horse light up once they got that maneuver or finally understood what you're asking for is so satisfying just seeing them react to it and be like oh really that's all you wanted from me like it's it's really nice to see it's yep. so satisfying. Goes back, goes back to building confidence, which I talk about a lot. I want horses to be confident and and think for themselves. So if your puzzles are set up correctly for your horse to where they can actually figure the answer out, that's what really builds confidence. Because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, hey, I get this. I can do this. And then your puzzles just get continually a little bit harder and a little bit harder. And they just, that's how you train a horse. And it's you know slow and methodical and you you have to be detailed and and have a plan Mm -hmm. kind of my number one 
mantra with horses when I teach people is what is your plan? You know, you're going to do this exercise. What is your plan? Horses need you to have a plan. Be organized. Exactly. But going on your plan, yes, you might have a plan, but tomorrow it might be different because something may have changed with what you worked on the previous day. Working horses is constantly... You Yes, you do have an end goal on what you want to succeed in, but sometimes you have to go back to basics. You have to restart something. Every day that plan changes. As long as you have oh, yeah. a main goal at the end of it and you work towards that goal, you will have success. The plan deviates, and the horses, it's never linear. So it's never, you know, A to B and done. Nope. It's, it's have you ever seen all that, over. that drawing? And it's one of my favorite depictions of horses, and it's, it's a... Lines everywhere? You know, well, it's a cartoon. I'm sure you've seen it, but it's a cartoon with a person on a horse, mm-hmm. and it, you know, says start and finish. And it yep. says what training a horse is like, and there's, yes. you know bridges and valleys and water and it's this big huge like crazy hill to climb to get to the finish yes and it just depicts training a horse so well and i i always tell people one of my first questions when i'm standing in front of them teaching is are you a trainer and everybody looks me in the eyes and they're like no we're not trainers and i said yeah you are if you are riding you are training that's the unfortunate truth training or untraining so you need to gather information so you feel like you are in that trainer seat because when you're riding, you're training. So. Exactly. You just need to figure out which trainer you are. Like you said, untraining or training. And I hope to God you yeah. are training and not untraining because once you start untraining a horse, there is a lot of work to get it back to go back to what it was. It's easier yeah. to start a horse than to retrain that horse. Yep. But it's just, you know, that's where education and information and mm-hmm. knowledge starts to come in. And that's, that's what makes you a trainer is knowledge. You have a plan. You have something mm-hmm. you can go and work on with the horse. And you might not be getting paid to do it, <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's most people's definition when I ask them this question. I find it very interesting. I love talking to, to riders around the world and hearing their input but you know they go well I don't get paid to ride so I'm not a trainer yeah but you're educating that animal Mm -hmm. so you are a trainer and out of out of all honesty if I'm riding a horse I am more than happy as long as I can keep riding if I'm not paid honestly I don't care to me as well that's not the point it's not about being paid but it doesn't cross people's mind that they're not a trainer because they're not getting a paycheck but the reality is they're riding, you're mm-hmm. educating, you're teaching, so mm-hmm. you are training. No, and mentors don't get paid. They're, there's people out there giving speeches and clinics and just helping out and just teaching people things. doesn't mean, and they're not getting paid, but it doesn't mean they're not teaching, like you just said. And yeah. no, I, I agree very much with that. And it all, everything we've talked about tonight all goes back down to educating yourself. People need to drill that into their head. Get educated. Pick up a book. I have this jumping book that is basics of jumping with a bunch of different patterns in it and how the mechanical of a horse works in the jumping. And 
I have sticky notes all over that books and book mm-hmm. and page markers yep. on certain things that, like I said, I use a lot of English writing in my Western writing. Now I'm not a English writer competitor, but I go back to it a lot because they have such a great basic in knowledge on how to start and balance their horses. Yep. And like you said earlier, dressage is the basic of any horse. Well, it's one of the oldest formal schools of riding. Mm -hmm. Dressage. Like it was created in, in the war era to get horses ready for war. How so? Well, it was just training. They just knew the things that they needed to um, have the horses do in war, and they that's how they started training them. Hmm. That's actually very interesting. Yeah. I'm going to look into that a little more. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's very interesting when you start reading about it. And, and um, it's just exercises and maneuvers that you want your horse to be able to do. Hmm. And then training. It's just training, you know? No, yeah, it boils down to training. <laughs> well, what you're saying about, you know, your books and your stuff like that, we live in an information era right yeah. now. You know, like, there is so much material, maybe even almost too much, you know? There is a lot, and not all of it's good. Yeah, and you have to, it's tough for people to sort through what's good and what's not. And, but the you know, best... I see a lot of material out there that, I really do not agree with, but again, I'm entitled to my own opinion. Exactly. A a lot of people might agree with something that you don't agree with, and I find the best thing is, let's say I read an article on on flexation. I'm going to ask multiple different trainers. I'm going to ask 10 different trainers. So, for example, I'll come up and ask you, like, hey, I just read this. What do you think of this technique? And I'll take what you said into consideration and then go ask the other nine people. And then at the end of the day, I'll sit down and be like, okay, all these people say this about that. And I figure out, you know, like I, I take the information and just research. Just be that, and that's how I find like, okay, you know, nine out of 10 people don't agree for that with this because of this. But that one person agreed with it because of this. Huh. Why does that person agree with it? Then I'd go look into it more. It's taking the information you learn and expanding that information and researching more on it. And that's where a lot of people go wrong, is they don't ask enough questions. Yep. And, you know, sometimes people don't have those resources to ask questions to, I find. And that is one of the... That's one of the main reasons I started this podcast, is everybody so far that I've had on the podcast are more than happy to come back on or to answer a few questions via DM or if there's enough questions about a certain topic, they will gladly come back on. I have a few live videos planned out in the near future with a few of these guests that are going to be answering some questions. And like, I don't want my audience shy to ask a question. Like, even if it's the basic of the basic 101 horse riding, like, you know, how to back up a horse, I don't want them to feel uncomfortable asking that question because we are all here to learn. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no such thing as a stupid question and everything's actually very layered and very difficult when you dig into how horses work and, and you know, it's never, like I said, start to finish, it's 
holy crap, all this stuff happened in between, and how do I handle that, too? So that's where it's difficult to, to help people with horses because I'll often get questions, are my horses doing this? Okay, well, what's happening before that? What's happening after that? Like, there's just so many factors involved with horses, which makes it really fun for me, and I love figuring that out, but it's hard to give those kind of cut-and-dry answers because there's can be so many things that are going on. But, no, I, I welcome questions, and, I, I mean, if you wanted to do anything, I would be more than happy to help people. So. No, and at the end of the day, all we're trying to do is better the horse industry like we we do it for the passion for the animal that's what our end goal is is to make sure these animals get the best of the best i always joke that i'm i'm helping horses one person at a time oh i like that (laughs) i'm gonna steal that and i'll quote you don't worry i'll make sure i give you credit okay cool (laughs) but i mean i want people to learn how to speak that's what I'm doing I mean I have a pretty good understanding of how horses work how they think um, and I just want to help people understand that when they can understand that that's when they really start to unlock the potential of what they can do with a horse if, mm-hmm. if you truly understand them then you can figure out where to put their feet and, and then you know increase the speed of where you're going to put mm-hmm. their feet and, you know, all these different things but when I was just got to learn how to speak the language that the horse understands so yes when I was younger like I said I'm I'm a lot I'm self-taught a lot and um I remember spending hours sitting in the field just watching my horse graze and roam around and to me that is the best way to learn horses language is watching them in their natural habitat and learning how they move and how they they do certain things is that's where you're going to learn horse language is watching them, listen to them, open your ears yep. and eyes and give them the chance to speak to you because they are constantly speaking. Um, I had a horse, um, Ralph. He's a little princess. He, If he had one tiny little cut, it was the end of the world. Honestly, this horse would have been very happy in bubble wrap. He was a pure princess. And... Um, we were in the middle of training and then all of a sudden he kept chomping at the bit and every time I put pressure asking him to collect, he he would just have issues. And I knew it wasn't a behavior problem just by the reaction he was having. And um, so I got his teeth checked. His teeth were good. We f- and I told the vet to file them anyways because of based off how much of a little princess he was. And that didn't fix the problem. So I had to keep watching him and finding a pressure point that affected him. Well, it came down to his pole. His pole was very sensitive and he did not like the pressure from the bridle. And um, so I ended up using a back on track cap from Welltech. Yep. And the second I put that on and put the bridle on and asked him for a collection... It was like my horse again. He was like, okay, no problem. But the communication, like, he didn't throw a fit. He didn't try to buck me off or do anything mean. He was trying to tell me, like, hey, mom, something's wrong here. It hurts. And a lot of people miss these communications. A lot of people, I watch so many people ride, and their horse is so lame. 
And I got, I, I'm up to the point where I no longer point it out to this person because they don't care or they don't see it. And you clearly, sometimes some of them are so obvious that I want to cry. And these horses are so well behaved and they're, they're trying to tell them like, hey, this hurts, please stop. But they're so willing to give and to satisfy their human that they're constantly doing it. Horses are incredible. They made me every single day at, at their heart and their willingness. You know, every time I put one in a trailer, I'm amazed that this horse will follow me into this tin can on wheels so willingly, just like, it, it's it's a, boss, I'm coming with you, you know? Like, they made me every single day. It, this animal is a thousand pounds. If they want to end you, they can. They're the ones that choose to be with us. We should respect them and learn to communicate with them and to g- take and give. That, that's what it comes down to. Yep. Um, my friend that I met up with tonight, she's a, a barrel horse, and um, her, she was running her horse this summer, and her horse was doing really well. But she always, she kept feeling that something was off, so she brought, you know, chiropractor in. She was just looking for the problem, but... You know, he was good for a few days, then so she'd go back to a competition, then all of a sudden a problem with a cure again. But in her heart, she knew something was up, but that horse did not show his pain. Well, she finally convinced her vet to take x-rays because the vet was saying, no, their horse is fine, it's just attitude. Well, he has a fracture um, vertebrae and kissing spines and cellulitis in his hawks. And deep down, deep down, she knew it just based off how the horse was trying to tell her something. So she was slowing down the competitions because she was like, okay, clearly something's wrong. We need to figure out this problem. But the love that horse has for her was insane. And he was performing so well through this pain that he was having. And it's, it amazes me how well he was doing. And I'm like, wow, once, you know, if he was on his top game, no problems, he would have been one to watch out for. And so now he's getting all the care, care he needs. And like I said, it just, it comes down to communication and knowing your horse. Well, we have to listen to them and, and pay attention. Mm-hmm. Know the mannerisms, know them, know the personality know how they think, know how they work, and we have to listen to them, and they can't, you know, they can't speak words, so no. they, they, they speak in other ways, we need to just listen, and like I said, I'm a student of the horse for the rest of my life, and I learn something every time I am near a horse, and mm-hmm. uh, it's you just have to listen. One of the main issues I have with client horses when I was training um, was... They're like, oh, get on my horse and ride it and tell me what you think. Well, I'm not going to be able to tell you what I think within the first five minutes. Maybe in a week I can tell you after 45-minute rides every day. Maybe. Because I don't know this horse. And this horse doesn't know me. So why should I give you my opinion on this horse right away off the bat? Yes, it can be acting up, but I don't know the main cause of it. I don't know what it knows yet, you know, like you, it's evaluating the whole course one step at a time and then figuring out where you're going with it. And 
a lot of people don't understand that. They want it done so fast. But just because I know how to train a horse doesn't mean I know how to work your horse. I need to understand yours first. Well, that's our job as, as horse trainers is to be able to understand every kind of horse mm-hmm. and personality. And honestly, I, I have always felt that this was so special for me because I was used to having a classroom of 30 students and each one of those students was so different, different learning style, different, you know, different everything. So each student in that class needed something a little bit different. And teaching school really helped me understand the, that in horses. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, horse training is not a cookie cutter thing. Just because one thing worked on one horse, it's not going to work on another. That's where we need to listen and go, okay, you're not getting this. What's another approach? Exactly. What's another way to do this? Maybe we need to change what we're doing. And, and again, so I'm really thankful for, for that teaching experience, giving me that outlook towards horses. And the parallels between teaching children and, and horses is actually crazy. So, And again, it all comes back down to educating yourself you need to have a bucket full of different techniques because like you said one technique is not going to work for the next horse necessarily it might work for the 10th horse you work with but not the other nine you have to take you you have to figure the horse out and a lot of people don't understand that it takes time and it like i said it, it literally comes down to educating and learning to read the horse. And a lot of people lack well, both of those, or at least one of them. I I like that you talked about time. I really struggled that with, with training other people's horses. Because um, most people didn't understand the time needed to educate a horse, to train a horse. Mm-hmm. They and, w- and again, every horse is different. One horse could come and they could you know, knock things off your checklist so fast and the next one could come and it could take two months to get one thing off the checklist, two things off the checklist. Yes. And I found that people's timelines were always very unrealistic and usually didn't have the horse's best interest in mind. Um, I'm really happy, like, I kind of phased taking outside horses um, out of my program and and it, it's something I do not regret whatsoever. I love having my own set of horses that I've handpicked. Mm-hmm. And I have my own program, and they're on their own timeline, and there is no rush to do, you know, whatever it is. If they're not ready, they can wait. And yep. I I just really, truly believe it creates this, such well-rounded, confident horses that can do any job and that's what what I want to produce and it's it's not on some 30 60 90 day program it's it's whatever the horse needs I could not agree anymore with you it's you you know (laughs) well that's good (laughs) honestly like we keep going back to the basics everything we've talked about literally goes back to what we goes back to what we're talking like the the basic of the basic and a lot of people need to realize that when i go give a clinic i take people right back to the beginning and it's it's usually things that people have missed or Mm -hmm. didn't didn't know about and i literally 
travel and do the same clinic um, all over North America because it's what people need. And it is the small stuff. It is the basics. It is the detail. But yes. it makes the world of difference in a, in a horse's mm-hmm. training. I, I agree 100%. And that is one of the reasons why I'm learning reining is because of the training that goes into it and how you move that horse. And believe it or not, so I did, I've, I can pivot, you know, I, I thought a, a horse that, my barrel horse, I thought he pivoted really well. Like it was nice and somewhat quick. Well, holy moly, when that horse sat and spinned at full speed and, and stopped, my coach is like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm not okay. And she's like, you might want to stop moving. You're about to fall out of your saddle. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm moving? (laughs) (laughs) I was so dizzy. And I was sick to my stomach. Like a few hours after that, I could not believe how quick that was. And the, just the maneuver that goes into it, it was insane. And I'm like, wow, okay. I have a a little bit more respect for this discipline now. Like, wow. And then... It it was so I did um so this was my first like lesson in actual reining so she had me do a few big circles that transitioned to a small circle like I didn't actually run a pattern um she was just teaching me the basics and then I did a few rundowns for a sliding stop well my first three attempts was a complete fail um but the fourth one was not a success but not a fail the horse somewhat slid but my whole position was off, <laughs> which did not benefit the horse. But I was so proud of myself because, like, these are things I've never done before. Like, yes, I know how to work circles and transition my horse into a slower canter and speed up the canter. But doing what these horses are trained to do, I've never dipped my toe in before, and I did not know what went into it. And like I said, I'm educating myself into it. So I learn and can maybe use those techniques one day into what I do. Yep. Well, you'll be better for it. Exactly. I I don't think I'll ever compete in reining. It's not really my thing. I might do a few local shows just for the fun of it. But um, I, I'm not a huge fan of the reining industry. It's just not me. Yeah, and I mean, like I said before, it's your choice. You choose, right? Exactly. But I am not putting down the discipline. I want to learn as much as I can from it and to at least say I can do it. Because putting down a discipline you don't know or can do makes is literally you talking bullshit. Literally. But you should never put anything down if, if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all I exactly. mean, if, if it's not your deal then whatever exactly you, you know, know a tr- it could be somebody else's deal yeah so whatever exactly try it you don't like it move on to the next thing you learn you and you have to have learned something from it because clearly you either like it or you don't like it so you you like it you learned all this from it you don't like it well you learned all that stuff that you didn't like it but maybe you found something in what you learned to use but just don't like the discipline it's everybody free for all but educate yourself is where i'm sticking to it and it's a good plan no exactly and you know like 
for some reason I'm obsessed with school. Like I'm an equine, I, I'm certified equine nutritionist, um, behavior. Uh, I've got a freaking portfolio full of certifications on all kinds of stuff that I dip my toe into because all I want to do is learn as much as I can in this industry because I'm just so passionate about it. And like you said, there's an overload of things we can learn from Google. And sometimes people are like, oh, I read this on Google. I'm like, oh, no, you didn't Google, did you? (laughs) Stop Googling. But there is, like I said earlier, ask questions on what you Google. Well, and anybody can put a video on YouTube or anybody. Like, it's just there is no regulation in this industry as well there's no not nope. much of a certification program so you just you have to be very careful because there's lots out there but the, especially can, tiktok now yeah i'm not a, i probably need to dabble in the whole tiktok world i don't know but i just it's a death trap i actually i don't even like social media if it were up to me i wouldn't even be on it <laughs> um i'm just kind of a quiet worker and like to do my own thing and then stay away Honestly, from TikTok. Yeah, well, I'm not... I mean, I have an account, but I've never made a video, and I okay. have went on there probably it's, twice in my life. But. There's a few videos I'll watch, like, I've seen, and I'm like, holy crap, what is this girl doing? That is not right. And then I'll go in the comments just to see what people put... Like, you know, sometimes I'm sitting on the couch, got nothing else to do. Just to see what people are writing, be like... And some of these people are, like, praising her training method and saying, oh, wow, and stuff like that. And I'm there, I'm like, I'm sorry, but you just literally yanked all your horse's teeth out. (sighs) How is that okay? Yeah, Yeah, the horse turned, but with everything you just did to it, I would turn too. Yeah, I can't watch most of that stuff. I don't. Um, (laughs) There's this account on um, Facebook. what I th- I'm pretty sure it's called Rodeo Problems. I'm, I can't remember. But they made a post saying, thank you to all the NFR trainers coming out one, for this 10-day event once a year to give your opinion. It was greatly appreciated. Now, the 359 days of the year, we will not hear from you. But these 10 days, we hear from you. Something around that line. Yeah. I'd have to go look for it. But it's people that don't educate themselves enough on these disciplines giving their opinions that they don't know anything about yeah they're out there that's for sure yep so, so. yeah so that's okay, well, that's all i've got tonight what do you got <laughs> well i've been talking we've been talking for a long time an hour and a half it's, yeah it went really fast it did um, but uh it flowed very nice and we covered a lot of basics and a lot of educational things and I honestly think people are going to benefit from this podcast a lot and I really hope people will take it and think about like it's never too late and just jump on the bandwagon and start asking questions and start learning things and maybe open up their arms towards new disciplines just to try Trying doesn't hurt anything. It really well, doesn't. If we can inspire one person to go do something new or get out there and do something, I think that's a win in itself. So Yep. Um, I just think you're doing a, a great thing by gathering, you know, 
horse people with some knowledge and, and helping spread you know awareness and, and everything around the, the equine industry and I, I think it's really great what you're doing so keep it up well thank you very much I hope to also expand a little bit more into the western industry not just equine like also like cattle and ranchers and you know like yeah. I want I've got a few farriers lined up for the future and things like that like I really want to expand on a little bit of everything that all come back down to one thing it's well, it's, it's a family it's, we all do this for the passion yeah, we work together exactly we have passion for for a reason and and you know I it's actually kind of neat and this fits into this I, I had a phone call today with a guy from the Denver Stock Show and he wants me to come down and ride my Lusitano at the Denver Stock Show in oh. January which is very cool and I did a performance with fire and a whole bunch of kind of really cool dressage maneuvers at the Innisfil Pro Rodeo this year. Wow. And yeah, he, I just got on the phone with him and he'd been up in Alberta and we, he had rodeoed up here and we had a mutual friend and, and we got talking about the, the people we meet um, on this journey and I told him the people that I've met through my horse journey, I mean, I wouldn't trade meeting those people for the world. I've met some of the most most genuine, you know, kind-hearted, knowledgeable people that um, I just love meeting those people. And that's what he said to me tonight. He said, you know, I can't wait to meet you. And I have met some of those incredible people through horses and rodeo and you know the that western lifestyle in general and and that when you said that um that we're all family and this and that that's just reminded me of that is you know it really is about the experience of the people you meet along the way too so make sure that you're surrounding yourself with people that inspire you and support you and lift you up so okay that's the end of my soapbox but that's the motivational <laughs> The motivational side of me, as I was alluding to earlier, is, you know. Well, maybe we'll have an episode of Motivational Monday or something. (laughs) (laughs) You know where to find me if you want me to talk more. I talk for a living, so. It's okay. I love it. Don't even get me started on circles and horses because I can talk for a week straight. I promise you. All right. I'll start scheduling and making a. Like Circle Sunday or something. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone jokes, you know, I'll give a clinic or, you know, my show writer, Carrie Stampede Kids, will start a clinic. I'm like, guess who we're starting with? They're like, Circle. Because they know that's just, I'm so passionate about circles, it's crazy. So, anyways, thanks for having me on and um, good luck with stuff coming up. And I look forward to a, a future date down the road yeah no thank you so much and for all your knowledge it was greatly appreciated so there you guys have it our fifth episode with jill we are so excited that she was able to come on and take some time from her busy life she just got back from some travels learning some more things about horses and hopefully we can have her back on so she can teach us some more thank you guys so much for your continuous support we couldn't do this without you don't forget to follow us on tiktok and instagram at the wild sorrel 
Happy holidays. We'll see you next week.